so close, so quick in, in the time we worked together. She was there every day. Um, would you all help me welcome Beth from Giantese Forestate. God, they told me my hands would quit shaking when I quit drinking, but my name's Beth, I'm an alcoholic. As a matter of fact, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic, and I never thought I'd say that. When I came here last year, you know, I've listened to how you got sober, but I was like, God, do I have to listen to all this gratitude? And, and some of these people, you know, Patty, I thought she went home and beat her kids. I just didn't think anybody was that happy all the time. You know, I knew there had to be something going on in her house, but uh, uh, let me calm down for a minute. I, uh, when I started coming, I heard people talk about being self-centered, and uh, this was years ago when I was on the revolving door policy, and I always had that, you know, I thought, well, okay, self-centered, that's selfish and vain, and God, I'd do anything for anybody, and and I'm not stuck up, and uh, and so I just kind of disregarded everywhere it talked about being self-centered. And finally, when I drank myself stupid enough to listen, I found out that um, self-centered was, was how I'd spent my whole life. I grew up about two feet outside of myself watching everybody watch me. And, uh, you know, I couldn't do anything. I wouldn't try anything unless I was sure I'd be good at it. And, um, you know, if I was talking to you, I'd listen, but I was thinking about how I was going to answer. I really didn't hear what you had to say. And my whole life was like that. I just, you know, I was always real aware of other people watching me, and I had to be sure how I looked to you. You know, if I was talking to you, I had to make sure I looked happy to you guys over here. And um, I don't know. Some people, you know, I guess there are some that, that crossed the invisible line, you know, drank socially for a while. I was not one of them. Um, I was just an alcoholic looking for a place to happen. I'm probably fourth generation alcoholic that I know of, but uh, second generation AA, so that's kind of neat. My dad went into AA when I was about six or seven years old. I went to some meetings on nights that he couldn't get a babysitter, so when I was old enough for AA, I knew that it was all old men that drank coffee and ate donuts because I'd been there. Um, and, uh, you know, I just never thought I could do anything for me. I really, you know, he drank when I was so young, I don't remember much of it, but he uh, pretty much was on a dry drunk while I was growing up, so we didn't have a real spiritual household. I was I was taking spirit or uh, geographical cures in, within town. I transferred to public school in sixth grade because uh, I figured I was in semi-private and I thought, well, if you had to go to school with the same 30 people every year, you know, we were all ready to kill each other. And then I left and everybody else got along fine, so I guess it was just me. But uh, I heard Sean Allen talking about being incredibly shy and uh, I was always right in the middle of things, but he said that either he would be on the corner or he'd be in the middle entertaining. And that's what I did. I surrounded myself with people, you know. I always knew the jokes. I was always, my first grade report card said something like, Beth has really good leadership qualities, but she tends to be a bit bossy at times. And, <laughs> and that stuck, you know. I was always the ringleader, and I surrounded myself with people. I was in, you know, seventh grade the pep club, band, you know, you name it, I did it. And uh, going into high school, I was the cheerleader. 
you know, student council, everything. I, I was surrounded, but, it, you know, I couldn't stand to be alone. I was the one that, uh, that if somebody else had free time, I would go with them, you know, and, and I would always be available to go because I was afraid that you might find out that you could have fun without me if I stayed home, and then you would never ask me again. I started drinking, I guess, the very end of my freshman year, and uh, I'd heard everybody talking about throwing up and getting sick, and, and once again, I didn't want to do anything unless I was going to be good at it. So I went to a keg party and just kind of took it slow. And so I had a real happy drunk the first time. You know, I didn't get sick or throw up. As a matter of fact, I didn't really ever throw up much. Um, but it was fun, you know, I liked it. It was neat looking around, trying to figure out if all those people who were watching me knew if I was drunk or not. Um, I had so much fun that I took my best friend out the next day to get her drunk so I'd have somebody to drink with. And... Uh, it just was, I thought that I hadn't got into much trouble the first year, but I started thinking, and, and within a year when I started drinking, I had totaled a car with three people in it, been thrown off a cheerleading, been suspended from school twice, and my grade average dropped about two points. You know, my friends changed. It was just, you know, I was off and running from the beginning. I lived for the weekends. We drank during the week a lot. Um, I loved to drink in the morning from the beginning. You know, when you were in school and skipping school, you had to drink in the morning because you had to sober up before mom and dad got home. So I never thought much about that. And uh, I ran with a lot of people older than me. So my whole junior year, I would like come in through the living room, close the bedroom door, go out the bedroom window, and stay out till five or six. So I was pretty much daily drinking um, before I got out of high school. I graduated somehow and, and went off to college as a 17-year-old freshman at a Big Ten school and fell into the same pattern of, of well, I just never went to class. I flunked out. I went in with, with uh, 98th percentile SAT scores and flunked out. And it was like directly responsible to not going to class and, and drinking. But, you know, it was my same pattern of always being available. You know, I'd go somewhere with Jody first period and somewhere with Kim second period. And they were all going to class the other five periods, I figured out later, you know. <laughs> but not me. Um, when I flunked out, once again, knowing that all eyes were on me, because um, we lived in a small town, I thought mom and dad would be disgraced having a college dropout for a daughter, so I got a job in a bank, because that was semi, you know, that was respectable. And I hated it, you know. And I always wanted to get out. It was always like, God, if people would just leave me alone, you know, I'd spent every high school year planning, running away at spring break and leaving a note saying, I'll be back before school starts. You know, I just want to get away for a couple of weeks. I never had enough nerve to just book. And uh, when I finally did run away, I, I ran away from home at 19. It didn't occur to me nobody could stop me. <laughs> I went to Florida with a friend and left no note, you know, and all the way through Kentucky, I was looking for the sheriff car, you know, going to pull us over and make me go home. And and when I finally told mom where I was, she's like, why didn't you tell me you were going? And I said, well, you know, I didn't want you to stop me. And she's going, Beth, you're of age, you know. We couldn't have done anything. And it never occurred to me. I was running away. But we got, you know, we got down there and I got a job the first day I was there. And... 
And it's so transient down there that, you know, if they get anybody, I was in like a Kingwick type deal, and anybody that shows up for work three days in a row is management material in those places. <laughs> so, so I wrote to mom and told her I was training to be the assistant manager at this place. And, and when I finally called her, she's like, how do you do this, you know? You do this incredibly stupid stuff, and you come out smelling like a rose. And, and it turned out that like three days after I went to Florida, somebody served a lawsuit on me for the wreck that I'd had, and they couldn't do anything because I was out of state. And I had this good job, and, and Mom's just shaking her head going, it's not supposed to be this way, you know. You're supposed to fall on your face when you act as stupid. But... uh I ran into a girl that, that drank like I did down there, and by the end of about a year, I'd run out of places to live and, and run out of friends, and I met this guy who was new in town, and uh, he had a house and a car and a job, and uh, I decided, well, I'll just get him to fall in love with me. This will be easy, you know, and, and I did, and he did, and, uh, you know, I thought, this is cool. This guy can just take care of me. And um, we'd been going together about two months, and he got strep throat and was off work for a week and never went back, and all of a sudden I was supporting us. So that was my, <laughs> that was my first lesson, and things are not always as they appear. Um, we got married anyways about eight months later. That was my bright idea, too. He thought that he should get a little more stable, and, and I gave him some big line about building our life together. And, oh, God, it was awful, and he bought it, and we got married. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I don't know, we tried California for eight months, hated that, and, and went back to Florida. Um, and down there, it was the same thing. I had a pretty good business going selling pot. You know, I had, I had a, a son, and uh, I'd ended up supporting us most of the time down there, too. He finally got a job when I had Robbie, and I'd just go to the beach with my half pound of pot and get a tan and make money. And uh, we went to uh, the Keys for 4th of July, and we came back on Tuesday and moved on Friday with a six-month-old baby. And... Um, and I went and applied for a job the next day and got it at a big resort in one of their restaurants and called mom and was like, oh, yeah, by the way, we moved to the Keys, but I'm assistant manager at this restaurant. And she's just going, how do you do it? You know, it just, but I always, you know, I think I kind of depended on getting out of whatever I got into. You know, it didn't matter how deep I got in. Somehow I just kind of landed on my feet. And uh, I went from working in this restaurant to being the night auditor at the main hotel. And that was, you know, the first thing they did was give me the keys to seven bars. So I was in heaven. And it was my job to ring out the bars every night. So I'd have a drink at this one, then I'd have a drink at this one, and a drink at this one. And, I, and I, they were paying me, you know. And I just thought I had it made. Um, we, uh, I guess one night I got fired. Because I went to <laughs> I went to happy hour and kind of stayed till I had to go to work at eleven o'clock, and that shook me up, you know. And, and uh, I went to a I finally went to an AA meeting and told them that I thought I had a drinking problem. And I'd been to meetings before when I came up to visit with Dad, but I'd always said my name's Beth. I'm with him, and uh, <laughs> so I stood up, said my name's Beth, and I'm an alcoholic, and said that you know I'd lost this wonderful job and I knew I had a problem and. And two days later, I went and saw the general manager. You know, lucky for me, they hated the girl that replaced me. So 
I told him that, you know, I knew I had a drinking problem and I was going to AA now and uh, he gave me my job back. So I went back to AA that Friday and, and said, you know, I got my job back and I feel wonderful and I never won again. And, uh, you know, they fixed me. So, <laughs> so uh, I didn't drink for eight months after that, but we had a pretty good drug business going and I was doing cocaine on a daily basis. Um, Knowing, of course, that some people substitute drugs for alcohol, but I wasn't one of them. Um, you know, uh, we got busted eventually. That cost me my job. I was six or seven months pregnant and um, had an ocean view cell in Key West. That's not the way to vacation down there. Uh, somehow, somehow, I really, that's the first time that I really got scared and thought, God, maybe I got into something I can't get out of. You know, and I was thinking, well, I'm pregnant, they can't, you know, they won't keep me. And there was some girl in the cell next to me that was getting out in 11 days to see her month-old baby, and she'd been there five months, and I lost it. I was like, God, they might keep me. But somehow, they, they dropped the coat charges, and I got put on probation for possession of marijuana, over 100 grams. And uh, they let me go. Um, I decided then that, that probably most of my problem was Kurt, and I wanted a divorce. And, uh, you know, I probably would have left before my daughter was born, except that we'd already, without insurance, you had to pay in advance the obstetrician and everything. So I stayed down there and had her, and then um, started to drink again. Well, I started to drink right before I had her. And, and I always had this pattern of, like, keeping it together through a crisis and then falling apart when everybody else calmed down, you know, because somebody had to keep it together while it was going on. And so I thought that's what happened to me. And when I got sober this year, I realized that after we got busted, we had to clean the house out because all the pre-sentence investigations, and I had no drugs. And when the drugs were gone, I had to drink. But you couldn't have told me that then, you know. I lasted about two weeks after the drugs were gone, and I got drunk. I continued to drink. Um, I couldn't be the bad guy that took the kids away from Kurt. So I just drank till he couldn't stand it anymore and, and said, get out. And I was like, well, okay, but I'm not coming back. He's like, I know, just get out. And the next day, you know, he left for work, and I was on the phone saying, Mom, give me a plane ticket. I'm coming home, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. And he came home at noon to talk it out. And I was like, oh, sorry, Kurt, you know, you threw me out. You know, that's the way it goes. Um, so I came up here, and... and uh, I don't know, I hear a lot of people say when they first came they'd never talked to anybody with a Harley shirt or a motorcycle, and I didn't talk to anybody that didn't have one. And uh, and I tried some AA meetings, but, you know, people just weren't surrounding me fast enough. I was used to knowing everybody, and I'd go to meetings, and, and people would forget my name. You know, I think I went to three or four. <laughs> and... Uh, and so I went to a bar where I didn't know anybody instead, because in there, by the end of the night, you know, I would know everybody. I'd gotten a pretty good job up here. I finally drank my way out of that. Well, I quit before she fired me. And uh, I'd moved to Norwood with my kids. And for a while, I was still drinking out in Montgomery. But, you know, when I first moved up here, I saw Cheers, and I'd never seen it because I'd always work nights. And they played that song about sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And I just sat and cried and thought, what have I done, you know? Here I am in Ohio again, living with Mom, you know? And I always knew that Mom was my problem, and she would just leave me alone. I mean, she wanted me to work, you know? She wanted me to take care of my kids, and I just thought she was asking a little too much. 
because I got to the point where all I really wanted to do was drink. Um, I, I got fired from this job, and within a week I had a DUI, and I was looking at a child endangerment charge. I um, walked down the street, left my kids asleep in the house, and walked down the street uh, to get drunk, really. You know, I told the story so long that I just went down for a pack of cigarettes and saw somebody I knew that I believed it after a while. But, but this year it came back to me that the two nights before that happened, I'd been across town at a bar while they were asleep. You know, it's just the grace of God that I was somewhere they could find me the night somebody called the police. And so I was looking at child endangerment charge, and, uh, and I decided to go through treatment because I heard maybe that would keep me out of jail. And, and I heard Eden House was cheap, and so I called them up. And uh, after I made an appointment, I hung up the phone, and Maury says, you know, that's six weeks. And I was like, what? You know, I thought three weeks. But, and it was all women. But I went because I wanted to stay out of jail. And, uh, you know, I, I drank again before I went in, and my dad came down to see me. And apparently my phone had been shut off that day, and, I, you know, I hadn't tried to call anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And he drove all the way down from Oxford to make sure the kids were all right because he couldn't get through on the phone. And, and when he left, you know, the last thing he said to me was, don't you think you've about used up your nine lives, you know? Because he had been the same way, that he always landed on his feet. And he said, you just really better think about, you know, you might be running out of nine lives. I went into treatment, and uh, for the first two weeks, we couldn't get phone calls. And I'd been in there 10 days, and I'd written a letter to my dad telling him that I was feeling better and that, you know, maybe this was going to work. And they came and got me while I was at dinner on the 10th day and told me that my father died. And, uh, you know, I hadn't been able to talk to him, and I was crushed. I got out a week and did the funeral and everything, but I was numb, you know, and I was pissed. I wrote a resentment letter to God, and at first, you know, I'm not self-centered. Dad's dead, and I'm writing, how can you do this to me? But... uh you know, I just, I think I thought he was going to keep me sober. And when I would go up to Oak Street or to a meeting somewhere, you know, I would look for people that looked old enough that they might have known Dad. And I'd run around saying, did you know Jim Kirby? You know, I'm his daughter. I just had to have some connection with them. And I'd come around three or four days, and then, you know. In the meantime, since I was had this child endangerment charge, so this was, or two for one kids had given Mom my kids. And that, you know, that should have got me going but all that did was free me up to drink i didn't have to be home for the sitter i didn't have to be home at all really um i repainted their room and made new curtains so they gave me back the kids and within six months mom had the kids again and i was back in treatment um i don't know when i went through christ um i organized pool tournaments you know, I did a lot of busy work there, but I worked about a step and a half. I admitted that my life had become unmanageable, and I carried the message to other alcoholics. <laughs> and that was all I did. Um, I helped the counselors, 12-step new people. And I got out, and I got drunk. And, and both times they'd said, do 90 and 90, you know. And I thought, God, I've been locked up here for a month. What do you want? You know, I'll go tomorrow. You know, 90 and 90 was just a little much to ask. And I'd go two or three times, and nobody would remember my name from me being here six months ago, and I'd get insulted and leave. <laughs> you know, and I finally started coming around. I came every day for six months, and nobody still could remember my name. So I guess it was just me. But the next two years was pretty much just solid drunk. You know, there's no other way to describe it. I worked when I had to. 
I worked for mom when I had to. Um, I think the only reason she didn't fire me is because she knew I wouldn't work at all. I really didn't care if I got fired. And uh, I don't know, it finally, it finally got bad. I'd never, never been suicidal. I never thought anything was worth killing yourself over. And I was starting to think suicide. And then I'd think, no, that'd screw up my kids for life. And then I'd think, no, you've got them screwed up now. What's the difference? And, and uh, you know, I can remember standing on a freeway overpass just looking down, thinking, yeah, I'd jump, a car will hit me, you know, it'll be all over. And then I thought, no, it'd be my luck. I'd just end up crippled and maimed and live. And uh, then I wouldn't look good. So, so you know, I didn't jump. But... But it was getting that bad, and I found I was carrying around a suicide hotline number in my pocket, and uh, I never thought to call AA. But uh, I finally one night, I don't know, it was three or four in the morning, and and I just had enough, you know, and and I asked God to help me, and my, here I'd moved four times, but my big book was where I could find it. And uh, I just asked God for help, and I got my big book, and I read some of it, and I saw stuff that I'd never seen before, and I slept good that night. I slept with the book, you know, just like a teddy bear, and I slept good. And, uh, you know, I didn't wake up the next day and stay sober ever since, but looking back now, I can see that's where things started to happen. Within about three weeks, uh, I met a guy in a bar. He was drunk, but he had been sober four years. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I found out later he went to about four meetings in four years, but, uh, you know, it was enough. It, it, we went out, we were talking about it, about AA and how much better, you know, his life had been when he wasn't drinking and we started going out and we went out for two or three days and this guy looked at me and said, said things to me that I'd been thinking to myself for two years, you know, it just really shook me up. Because, you know, he just looked at me, he's like, Beth, you got a job that you never go to, you have kids that you're not raising, you know, who do you think is going to take care of you? Me, I have my own problems. And I was just speechless, because I'd been looking around saying, God, this guy has furniture that matches, you know, he's a 15-year Ford man, that's exactly what I thought was that he would take care of me, you know, and he just nailed me to the wall. So I thought, well, I'll show you, I just won't drink anymore, and I quit. Um, I didn't drink for about four months. He had a narcotics prescription. I started going through them on a regular basis. But once again, you know, I wasn't substituting drugs for alcohol. I would never do that, you know. And, and they said people that do drugs will drink again. And I always thought that was a crock, too. I thought it was just from the people that were jealous because they couldn't do drugs. <laughs> and... Uh, and I didn't drink for four months, and even, you know, taking the drugs, my life still got better. I got bills caught up, I worked every day, you know, Mom and I were on civil terms again, and things were better. And he went out of town in May, and I got drunk. And, you know, my mind just told me, well, you know, it was easy quitting, you can just get drunk tonight, start over tomorrow, and you'll be four days sober again by the time he gets back. What I didn't realize was that he took the drugs with him, and when the drugs were gone, I had to drink, you know, because my mind didn't say, no drugs, get a drink, you know. My, my mind was saying, well, why don't you go up to Oxford and see Julie, you know, and I did, and I got drunk, and it took me five days to quit, and I was just dumbfounded, you know. I hadn't expected that. And then I was so deathly ill from being on a five-day drunk that I figured that cured me. I didn't eat till like, Sunday. And by Tuesday, I was drinking again. And the next three weeks, I don't know, the whole month of June is just kind of a blur. 
by the end of the second week, I guess I sideswiped a car and uh, just drove on and parked and went in Don's apartment. And when I came out to take the kids home, my car was gone. And when I went to see if anybody had seen it, they said, oh, yeah, they towed that away for a hit and run. I was going, oh, no. So, you know, and, and Don was yelling at me, and my best friend wasn't talking to me, and Mom wasn't talking to me. So I decided, you know, I made the only intelligent decision I could think of. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, I got Mom's credit card and money in the bank. I'll go to Florida where people appreciate me, you know. And I thought that, you know, all these people all this time had been sitting down there saying, God, I never had another friend like that, you know. I knew, I just knew they saved my seat at the bar for me, you know. I, I guess I was expecting a homecoming parade when I got there. And I got down there and people said, oh, you look kind of familiar, you know. But, but that was, you know, that was kind of the end, hopefully. Anyway, to date, that was my last drunk. I ran out of money. The credit card was charged up. Nobody knew where I was, and I had to call mom because I had like 42 cents and I wanted to come home. So she finally, you know, did a plane ticket with her credit card and she picked me up at the airport. And I just, all I wanted to do was go home and sleep. So I went to sleep in the car and she woke me up and said, We're here. And I looked up and we were at the cat house and I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy. And, uh, you know, the next day I was looking around, still arrogant after all. Nobody's talking to me. My car is impounded, you know. I had no idea what kind of charges were pending against me in Norwood. And I'm looking around saying, God, these poor people that don't have anywhere else to go. I don't know, I don't know what I thought I was doing there, you know. And, and uh, during the four months that I hadn't drank, I maybe went to three meetings, and at one of them I met a lady at a noon meeting that, that gave me her phone number. And I was thinking about her, you know, while I was in detox, and, and I knew where her number was, but it was like on the third floor at Kathy's house, and I didn't know if Kathy was even talking to me, and I, you know, didn't want to ask her to run up two flights of stairs to get it. But I just, I don't know, all of a sudden I got this funny feeling because people were coming from AA, you know, every night. And I just knew this, I couldn't even remember her name, but I knew she was going to be there. And about the second or third day I was in there, here she came walking down the hall. And I was on the phone, and I was like, wait a minute. You know, I went running over and said, I knew you'd come. And she's just looking at me like, who the hell is this? <laughs> you know, but I, I knew she'd come, and, and I don't know how I knew, you know. But she was the person I thought of, and she was there. And, and the other thing that happened was I was here, and all these people, you know, I was looking around thinking, God, you know, none of these people are going to know how wonderful I am, you know, and, until I start to tell them. And then I realized that when they were telling me how wonderful they were, I didn't believe a word of it, you know. And for the first time, I finally saw what other people saw instead of what I thought, you know. And who I thought I was was here, and what I was, you know, was over here. And uh, they told me not to go through treatment again because... I knew everything they were going to tell me, you know, and, and that kind of bummed me out because that meant I had to go see what kind of charges were pending and get my car out of impound, and, and a 30-day break from that would have been nice where nobody could touch me, but it just wasn't supposed to work that way. I finally decided that, yeah, maybe it was time to, you know, time to give AA a try, <laughs> you know, I thought I'd give it a shot, and... Uh, I don't know, the night I got out, I just, I'd made arrangements to go in a halfway house, but I couldn't get in for a month, 
And so then I decided, well, okay, I hear people go to Anna Louise Inn. So I called down there, and I couldn't get in for four or five days. And I got a hotel room in Reading right on the bus line. Because it was Fourth of July weekend, I couldn't get my car out. And I knew if I went to Norwood, I'd get drunk. So I went to this hotel, and I walked across the street to eat. And I uh, didn't go to like 6.30 when I was supposed to get a 7 o'clock bus. And then I started thinking, well, I'll take a later bus, or maybe I'll go tomorrow. And at about 5 till 7, this little voice just said, if you don't go, you'll never go. You know, I've done it too many times. I got the distance between me and that and decided I was fine. So I just got like a to-go box and threw my dinner in it and got on the bus and came down. Um, the girl that was talking that night said some things that caught my complete attention because she was just like me. And it turned out that when I'd been around in the 84, you know, with rum in my Coke can, she was going home and drinking cough syrup after the meetings. So we got along real good. And uh, and I stayed stayed for the midnight meeting and, and heard some other good stuff, you know. And the, the next day I was back again, a Saturday. And that night I just went straight home after the meeting. But I don't know, so much happened in the first two weeks. And it's just been like that. At the midnight meeting that Friday night, you know, I sat through the meeting, and I was sitting on the end of a row at Oak Street, and when they stood up to hear, you know, say the Lord's Prayer, there was nobody to hold hands with. And, I, you know, that's all it was going to take for me. I was like, apart from again, you know, i got to be different. And uh, I kind of stuck my thumb in my pocket and put my head down to pray, and this, these people in front of me grabbed my hand. And I, it just floored me, you know, that somebody would take the time to look and make sure that the circle was complete. And I was sitting there... I was sitting there, you know, just, I didn't know how to act, you know. I cried through the Lord's Prayer. It took a week before I could get through the whole thing without crying. And uh, I came back the next day. And, and that night, you know, I was like home feeling sorry for myself in the room and tossed and turned. And I had managed to pick a hotel that didn't have a bar. But, uh, you know, I, I was tossing and turning, and, and I thought, Beth, the answer's right in here with you. And I picked up the big book and started to read, and I slept that night, you know. And, and the next night I went back, and it was over at 8.30, and I thought, God, now what am I going to do? You know, I can't sit all night. And I was walking by, and somebody grabbed me and said, don't go anywhere. We're going to the movies, you know, and I, had, I just had a blast. And when we were sitting outside, somebody said something about willing to go to any lengths. And all of a sudden, I realized that, you know, I'd made arrangements to go to this halfway house for three months. And that, uh, you know, and that I was staying in this place. I swore I'd never stay. They're uh, towing cars in the back parking lot, okay, you guys? So if you get packed in the back parking lot. <laughs> I was trying to remember where I parked. Good time to turn. Where was I? <laughs> Yeah, I think I parked illegally across the street. I hope they stay busy for a while. Um, anyway, I just discovered that somewhere along the line, I had become willing to go to any lengths. And um, 
the, the day that I got out of detox, a man's daughter was killed in a car accident, and he showed up at Noon Big Book the next week, and he talked, and when I left, you know, I got this feeling while I was walking across the street that took a minute to identify, but it was gratitude. You know, all of a sudden I just got this surge of gratitude that for some reason I had a chance to tell my kids I loved them and, and to let them be kids, you know, and, and to tell my mom that I loved her, you know, because I'd made a career out of hating her. Um, I went to meetings every day, usually two a day, till I started working. And uh, I don't know, things just started to happen really fast. I got to go to the Bahamas at two months sober. I don't recommend that to anybody. Um, it was free rum punch everywhere, but, you know, I made it. And I had a good time, and it was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. At two or three months sober, my mom, somebody gave her basketball tickets, and she asked me if I wanted to go. And it didn't hit me for a day that she hadn't asked me because she needed help with the kids. And she hadn't asked me because all her other friends couldn't go, that she had asked me first because she wanted me to go. You know, and that just blew me away. We had never just done things together. Um, I don't know, when I first got sober, about the first week I was listening to leads, I heard somebody say that um, gratitude is a state of total self-forgiveness. And I thought, well, that sounds neat. And I wrote it down. I had no idea what it meant. But, but you know, it sounded like it might be important someday. And, and I'm starting... I'm starting to really understand what that means now, that, that gratitude's a state of total self-forgiveness, that if I'm still beating myself up over what I had and what I lost, then I can't be grateful for what I have now, and that if I'm grateful for what I have now, then I must have forgiven myself for what happened in the past. And I'm grateful a lot. I got happy real fast. I did a four-step early. Um, you know, it was suggested to me that I do one because I'd been around. I was like, okay, I didn't know any better, so I did it, you know. Then I started hearing about people wait six months for a year. I was like, damn, I didn't know you could wait, you know. But I got it out of the way early, and, and I just, it worked for me. You know, that's that's how it had to be for me. Oh, what else? I don't know. I've been traveling. We went to Gatlinburg about a month ago, and... Uh, I just grinned all the way down, you know, I was going down in a car that was paid for, that all the parts were secure on, with my driver's license, you know, and money, and a credit card, and a AAA card, and, uh, you know, I'd usually had two out of five, but I never had them all at the same time, <laughs> never. Um, I also went to work at Intergroup real early. I think, you know, by the time I was about two weeks sober, that was, you know, Patty thought it was wonderful. I was being arrogant. You know, I was like, well, they need me down there, you know. <laughs> it's, it's such chaos. I better go straighten them out. And uh, I got sober in spite of myself. I still go down there, and I love it. If you're new, you know, I recommend getting involved like that because it gave me a purpose, you know. It gave me, a, and Patty's no fool. She put me in Tuesday and Friday, so I had, you know, I couldn't drink in between. And, uh, you know, but I felt involved, and, and when I was feeling insignificant at meetings, I could kind of mention that I'd worked at Intergroup today, and, you know, it made me feel important. Nobody else cared, but, but it, you know, it gave me something to do because I just, you know, I was one of those people that, God forbid, that you, you find out I don't have anything to do. I would just suck down pops at Oak Street because I couldn't just walk in and look around. You know, I had to have a reason to walk through. So I'd get a pop and I'd sit out for about five minutes and 
Then when I sit by myself, so I would drain this pop so I could walk back through and get another one and maybe saw, you know, see somebody I know. Um, if you're in treatment now, go to a meeting the day you get out. You know, I would speak from experience. When you get away from it, it's, it's easy to stay away. You know, and, and I so much has been coming back to me this year. I'd forgotten that I'd be out on Friday night and looking pretty good and brush my hair and think, yeah, looking good, you bitch, I hate you. And then I'd walk out of the bathroom, yeah. And, uh, and I'm happy with what I see today, you know. Um, my kids go to meetings with me. I got guilty about that for a while, and then I realized that they weren't complaining, and they usually let me know if they don't like something. Um, Sarah, as well, like noon Saturday was her meeting. She was, I guess, almost five last winter, and we'd been to a noon meeting on Saturday. And I was cooking dinner, and she was playing in the living room with some teddy bears, and all of a sudden I heard this, Hi, I'm Teddy. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> And then she goes, hi, Teddy. <laughs> I said, yeah, I can't wait till this one gets to school, you know. But, but that's okay. You know, they're happy with it. And, and Robbie goes, he goes to Alatot sometimes, and he likes that. And he's all into 12-step of new people now, you know, to go, go shake their hand. And they know the Lord's Prayer, and they know the Serenity Prayer, and... and uh, you know, when I was working during tax season and had to be at work real early, he called me up at 8.30 just to tell me he loved me on his way to school, you know. And that, and that was neat because they used to be afraid of me. My mom still got him. I'm a year sober, but I just have to believe that that's as it should be right now. I could not have gotten to all the meetings I got to if I'd taken them back right away. Um, I don't know. You know, when it's time for me to get them back, I'll get them back. Um, I usually view them as my major stumbling block, but when I start thinking that it's never going to get any better, God drops all these people in my life that call in a group and they can't handle their kids and they're going crazy. And I hear myself telling them how much better it is after a year, you know, and it finally hit me, God, listen to what you're saying, Beth, you know. When I got sober, I had to take them one at a time for 12 hours, and now we can spend three days at a time together, all three of us and have a good time, you know, and, and I look forward to them coming now, and I like to take them places. Uh, I don't know what else to say. You know, if you're new, come back. You know, there's so much love here. We can love you till you can look in the mirror. You know, um, that's what they did to me, until you learn to love yourself. And if you've only been sober a couple weeks, you've got something to offer the person that, you know, got drunk yesterday. Because when I came in, somebody was sober a year, that concept was so totally foreign to me. You know, somebody that was two months sober, I wanted to talk to, because that was a more realistic period of time. Um, I want to read you something Dad wrote to me when he sent me a book in 1983. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll let you go. It says, Dear Beth, I pray that you come to know true peace and serenity. Study this book, use it as a text. Try to honestly live the program as it is written in this book. With time, you will come to know the promises as they are stated on pages 83 and 84. Remember always that true strength and courage can come only with faith. I love you, Dad. I love you guys. Thanks.